Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. And this week we're going to talk to Todd Young, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. And we're going to kind of go, I don't know, we kind of talk about it all. History, PMTT, why you should fish tournaments, talk about some fish in the east, and we talk about some trolling, some underrated tools. We kind of go all over the place with this conversation. Good conversation with Todd. If uh, many, many musky anglers are probably familiar with him, they uh, he's part of Fat AZ Musky Podcast. They are the original musky podcast. I wish that that was our title, but it's not. We were, um, I don't know, probably second or third to the game. Third, maybe, I think, to the game. Uh, there's many, many podcasts out there nowadays, and they all bring something to the table. But these guys were the very first to do a podcast specifically on muskies. In fact, they were podcasting well before podcasts were even a like a popular thing, really. They were one of the first, and I was like, what's a podcast? And then I found one on muskies. So that's what we're going to do this week. But we're also just days away from the Chicago Muskie Expo at the Kane County Fairground in St. Charles. It's uh, it's always been called the Chicago Show, but it's really not that Chicago. It's St. Charles. I don't actually believe we go anywhere near Chicago, but that's what it is. It's January 19th, 20th, and 21st. So if you're listening to this podcast and it's uh, you know Wednesday of release day, just a couple days away, come out and see us. And we will be doing a live podcast from the Muskie Mayhem Tackle Booth. We did this last year as well at some of the shows. We didn't do it in Chicago. We came up with the idea afterwards. Well, actually, we had the idea prior to, but we never actually implemented it. So I'd say like around uh, 645, 7 o'clock, because I believe we're there from 2 to 8 on Friday. So come out uh, to the Muskie Mayhem Tackle Booth and... We want some people to ask us some questions. We'll round up a handful of guides, four, five, six guides that we'll pass the microphones around and we'll have a little roundtable discussion about whatever the people in attendance want to talk about. And if they don't have anything they want to talk about, then we will just come up with some topics on our own and you will be able to hear it for the following week. So that's kind of the deal there. Brad, I know that uh, you have a few new things that you want to talk about that will be found in the Muskie Mayhem Tackle Booth, so... Here's a moment for you to uh, give us give us your uh, infomercial. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the neat things about this year, um, we really didn't make a whole bunch of changes this year. We're still working on a bunch of prototypes, and we always are. And it's something I think we talked about in last week's podcast, that we always have a few things, you know, in the back, just kind of working on things and, and trying to make decisions on where it is we want to go with the bait. But... Uh, what we did this year is we came out with a monster grenade, which was kind of, a, I don't know. I don't want to say it was a mess up on my part, Jeff, but we were doing a big bait show and Chase and I were trying to figure out for Mayhem 10,000 casts what we could throw. And so I made what I'm going to call the monster grenade. And if you're watching the show, it's going to be in a couple of weeks. I think that episode comes out. Caught a couple fish on this new monster. It's 17 inches long. It's basically just like the regular grenade, but it's going to be a little longer. And we did add some tail weight. We put a three-quarter ounce weight in the rear just for the ease of uh, laying out that bait as you cast. And uh, it has pretty much the same fall rate of one foot per second. And then we put number 10 blades on the tail. So a little bit bigger profile. It's not going to be for everybody, that's for sure. But uh, if you're looking for a big, giant bait to move a bunch of water, it definitely uh, shows a big, giant profile, and it will catch fish. That's the beauty of that. 
Secondly, um, we are going to do Harry grenades again for the show season. They're only available in the show season. I think Carrie had a few more built mid season this year that we released on the website, but uh, they're all one up. And if you're following Musty Man Tackles uh, social media platform, you will soon see a video. Well, I think it was, it was opening day. The guy that ties them, Frank, um, he's been on the podcast before. Frank catches uh, his first fish on a hairy grenade and it was a 50 incher. So that was kind of cool. We got a little social blast that we're going to do with that. And shortly thereafter, Carrie's going to be throwing out some of the pictures so people before the show can kind of get an idea of what we have in stock. So all one up baits. There's minis and then regular grenades, and they are Wampa and Bucktail with a little bit of flash blue in there mixed in. So definitely was a hit last year at the shows. Hopefully it will be again this year. And then you can always check out our booth for building your own customs, whatever you want to do. Um, pretty much doing detonators, triggers, double showgirls, juniors, double cowgirls, supermodels. We can pretty much build almost everything that we have there at the show. So definitely check out the booth. We're looking forward to the show. First one of the year for us, and it's the first for you as well, Jeff. Um, should be a good time. Yeah. You know, we're a little early with recording this one, Brad, and when we recorded with Brad Rue earlier this week, I felt a lot better about where we were than I do today. Like, not much has gotten done as far as show prep is concerned, but uh, make no mistake, we will be loaded up and we'll be ready to go. Brad, I sent you a little sneak peek of uh, some Aftco clothing that we're going to have for the show. We got some jackets and some hoodies. You know, if people are into the uh, Aftco shadow hoodie, I mean, Brad, I got it based on you telling me it's the most amazing hoodie there ever was. So hopefully you're right, and uh, we we can move a few of them. It's got a nice TRO logo on there. It's like almost like a blackout logo, but it's it's definitely different than something we've done before, and, and they look pretty cool. Yeah, they do look good. Uh, you sent me a picture of them. Aftco has been a great sponsor, man, 10,000 cast. Great company, great history. I think if you go back, Three episodes ago, we talked to a gentleman from AFCO. Definitely could fill you in more on that history and, and the product line. They make really, really good rain gear. Uh, all of their clothing, I mean, it just blows my mind, some of the comfort that uh, you can receive when, you, when you're wearing AFCO. Yep. 50 feet of the uh, greatest selection of stuff that we can bring to a show. We'll have that at, uh, at the Chicago Muskie Expo. And if you're looking for more information on the on the Muskie Expo, go to muskieexpo.com. There's a tab there at the top. You can click Chicago. You can pull it down, and you can get the uh, Chicago hours and admission. So I'll run it down quick. Friday, January 19th, we will be there from 2 o'clock until 8 p.m. On Saturday, January 20th, we'll be there from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. And on Sunday, January 21st, we'll be there in from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. So... That's kind of the, that's kind of it. It's the uh, Kane County Fair Park or Fairgrounds in St. Charles. We hope to see many of you at the Chicago Muskie Expo this coming weekend. And again, let's just run it down. 6:45 or roughly 6:45-ish at the Muskie Mayhem Tackle Booth. We'll do a live podcast right there and, and it was a fun time last year, so hopefully we we'll see you there. If you can't make it out to the show and you're looking for the latest stuff because the Quad Dog goes on sale this coming Friday, you can uh, get it online at teamrhinooutdoors.com. I've had a few people ask about the Livingston Lures Kraken, and I believe that we will have that bait, but we were not lucky enough to get in on the first round of them or whatever. So we will get the uh, second round, 
and um, I'm hoping maybe we'll have them by the Milwaukee show. But anyways, those are some of the more popular baits people are looking for. TeamRhinoOutdoors.com is it. If you don't make it out to show and you still want to support Brad and Carrie, make sure you check out MuskieMayhemTackle.com. I think that's it, Brad. Maybe uh, if, if they aren't, aren't going to be at a show next weekend, they can also catch an episode of Mayhem's 10,000 Casts or Keys Outdoors on the KOTV network or on YouTube. I think that's it. Brad, did we cover everything that we need to cover? I think you did, Jeff. Let's uh, move on and do a podcast. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Our guest this week is Todd Young, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. And many people may be familiar with Todd because Todd is what I would consider to be one of the OGs of muskie podcasting. Like him and Andy with Fat AZ Muskie Products, they were the first muskie podcast as far as I know. So they are the oldest and maybe most well-known musky podcast out there. I think, Todd, you were just saying uh, you guys took a little bit of a break back in March, but there is a chance that you guys will fire up the podcast again. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about it and just need a little break. After 340 episodes and, you know, once once a week for many years, it was time to uh, step back, and I could, I could see us definitely getting things fired up again. Yeah, I understand needing a break. We just got off one of ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, we took off around the holidays. It was the first time that we had done it in 253 episodes. We're not quite to your level yet, but we're, you know, we're pushing that number. And I totally understand, you know, why you would need to to get a break and, and the uh, the benefits to having a little bit of time downtime. You know, it, it's yeah. people don't understand how demanding it is on your schedule to produce a podcast every single week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting everybody lined up, getting things lined up, the timing for everybody. And, you know, people have kids, people have things going on. And, yeah, uh, you know, trying to do one once a week, which we did for the first five years. It was just some, there were some nights it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm ready for bed. I'm guiding, but we're doing a podcast at 930 at night or something, (laughs) you know. uh, But, uh, yeah, you just push through it and do it. And that's why we need a little break. All right, so outside the podcast, many people would also know you for Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. Let's talk a little bit about that. If people want to, you know, learn more about you after they hear this episode, where can they go to find out about Muddy Creek? And then we'll have you talk a little bit about it as well. Yeah, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishingguides.com is the website. Uh, I don't do a whole bunch on Facebook and stuff like that, but I get some stuff out there. But yeah, we've been, we, we guide in, uh, I do Pennsylvania. Uh, April, May, and then we go to Chautauqua Lake, New York. Uh, the season starts there the 1st of June. So I'm up there June through October-ish. And then October, November, we do a little mixture of fishing in Pennsylvania again and uh, and, and New York. Uh, we've been, I've been Muddy Creek. I've been guiding since 90, 95. So now back then I was working full-time jobs, so I wasn't doing as much as I am now, but right now it's pretty much a full-time gig for the summer, you know, spring, summer, fall months. And then uh, we make baits with Fat Easy Musky products as soon as I'm done fishing and, uh, and hunting. i got to get my hunting in, and then, then I start making baits. <laughs> that fishing and hunting thing seems to run hand-in-hand hand with most of the guides we speak to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a nice break. It's a time that, you know, you just entertain people. You've been out there day after day in the boat. And, uh, I really enjoy the time getting up, getting in my tree stand and sitting there and just chilling, waiting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a wait. It's a waiting game, whether you're musky fishing or buck hunting or turkey hunting, <laughs> there's a lot of waiting involved, but, uh, sometimes things work out. <laughs> sure. 
you know, let's talk a little bit about the the guide service, or maybe we'll talk about your history of muskie fishing to start with. Like, what got you into muskies? Why muskies? Man, so I grew up in a family. My grandpa, uh, you know, long before I was even around, you know, he came back from like World War II, and he and a bunch of his friends from Elwood City. I know if anybody knows history of bait making and stuff, there's but there's a history around Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Why I don't know. But there's a bunch of old guys, Ladiano and, uh, you know, people like that that started making baits. And he, he started taking trips to Canada, like I said, back in the late 40s, early 50s, way before I was around. So by the time I came around, uh, like May, our summer vacations were Canadian fishing trips. Go up, spend a week at a cabin, at a lodge somewhere and fish. You know, I didn't go to the beach. We didn't go to places like that. So I grew up from a small, I mean, they had me throwing baits around when I was, you know, very young and uh, I just grew up. It was just what I did, just uh, totally involved in uh, musky fishing. So I thought about, and uh, as time progressed, you know, working, getting out of college and working and stuff, you know, little by little, I started the little guide business doing stuff on weekends. Of course, it's hard to get your name out back in, you know, mid nineties. There wasn't, you know, the websites and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, little by little, I just got out of the construction work and the stuff that I was doing. And now that's pretty much what I do. I, uh, I, I, uh, you know, take people musky fishing and then we make baits every winter. You know, it's, ironic or, f or funny what you said there about how hard it is to get your name out back in the 1990s and how easy it is today i mean it's incredible how the just how quick information goes how fast word of mouth can travel the, you know nowadays somebody has a great experience with you on the water they can post a couple pictures and next thing you know you can fill your guidebook up really quick it's crazy yeah, absolutely and that that wasn't the way it was back then it was just word of mouth you know we had I had, you know, back in 99, when they started the PMTT, I started fishing. Dale and I fished the PMTT for a few years, you know, and I was involved in Muskie's Inc. But and some other people are the one. I always thought, man, it would be neat to do that, do a guide business. And I always knew that Chautauqua Lake was a destination. It's a tourist area. Lots of people up there in the summer. I always knew you could make a business out of it, but it's like, man, do you quit your job and try this or not? And it took me a while to, to, to do that. I worked many years before I actually stepped in to do that. But uh, yeah, back then it was just, you know, people in the club saying, man, someone, you gotta, you gotta start doing this. You gotta start doing this. And I, it, you know, you know, people would like to see what you're doing and, you know, it's all word of mouth and, but that, that's what builds the business you know, is word of mouth, taking guys out. They have a good experience. They tell somebody else now, now it can be done overnight. As you said, things have changed so much. <laughs> Let's talk about the PMTT for a minute. You know, what drew you to the tournament side of fishing? What's well, one thing we don't talk a ton about on this podcast is tournaments. What made you want to do it first of all? And do you miss it? Cause I don't think you do it anymore. No, we, we, we haven't done it in years, you know, so what I just remember getting that information, someone, you know, sent it to me in the mail or something back and, uh, you know, I don't think I had a computer in 99 when they started, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that I, you know, I'm, I've been friends with Dale Wiley since I was a little kid and, you know, you watch the bass tournaments, you watch all this stuff on TV and you're like, man, wouldn't it be cool if they ever do something with muskie fishing? And when we saw it, we were like, wow, let's do this. 
it plus you know it gave me a great excuse i i would have never where i live i would have never hooked up my boat and driven out to uh fish the chippewa flowage or leech lake or Malax or any of those places you know you're talking about a 20-hour drive where we live we go up to canada i can be on a ton of musky lakes in canada in a six-hour drive seven-hour drive uh and just you know fishing locally so uh, that that was exciting to see that man let you know let's give it a shot and there were people there was a lot of people like oh man you know you've never been there you've never done this and you know uh yeah but you know we to me it was just a no-brainer i I was able to do it i was able to take i was self-employed working my own construction business dale was also and we're like let's just let's go for this and let's do it i had a great time loved it at this point you know driving and hooking that boat up and driving 20 20 hours it doesn't excite me all that much (laughs) driving through chicago and getting all all out through there but uh you know i wouldn't i wouldn't have traded those four years we did that for anything because uh, i mean it was it was really a a neat experience got me to waters i would have never been to i would have like i said i'd never been to wisconsin i would have never been out there and fished those lakes so uh it got me to see things and you know one big thing coming home was you know you read about this because the only thing we had then was you know the, the muskie hunter magazines and you're reading about this wild these this like this like and yeah a lot of those fisheries are great fisheries but i was also be able to i was also able to come home and say like wow you know what we have right here at chautauqua isn't all that bad <laughs> you know you always think it's greener on the other side but you get to know people and you get to know what they're catching and what's happening there and you know we have great fishing right here and there's great fishing lots of places but you know that was you know that was a big thing that 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 happened for us coming home thinking man you know these lakes we're fishing up in canada and these these local lakes we're doing pretty good at you know if somebody is listening to this podcast and they're kind of on the fence about fishing a you know pmtt tournament or any musky tournament what would you say to them that would help push them over the fence what what something that's what's a major positive that they can take from fishing musky tournaments Man, they're, they're muskies, you know, they're, they're muskies. Anybody has a chance, you know, Dale and I were lucky to win up at the Fox chain lakes. I tell this story all the time when we're out there and we're having like a slow day or we get one fish out on a, a charter. And I was like, you, you understand, like, you, you know, I, you know, that tournament that we won, there was, you know, 126, 128 boats, something like that in that tournament, two day tournament. We fished uh, like nine hours the first day, I think seven hours the second day at that point. And, uh, you know, Dale and I got a 38 and some change and a 36 and some change. We were the only people that caught two fish. We won the tournament. It's not like out of 126 boats, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, it's not like you have to, uh, you know, the, the, you know, there's a chance. If you can put something together, you got a chance in those tournaments like uh, anybody, anybody does. We were at a lake we'd never even been to before, and that's that's the one we ended up, uh, you know, winning that one. We won Team of the Year that year. I mean, Dale and I had what what would be considered good success in our four years, but we didn't catch a lot of fish. <laughs> you know, a lot of times that's all it took. You know, you get a good fish, you're on the board. That's musky fishing. Uh, so go for it. I mean, if you're if you're thinking about it, it's a lot of fun. The competition is fun. And the, uh, 
you know, just the, the, the new lakes are fun. The new lakes are a lot easier, just as you were saying about getting your name out and stuff when you started guiding. Man, it's way different now. You know, you, you throw the chip in your GPS unit and you drive right to that hump in the middle of Bleach Lake, 115,000-acre place, and you just drive right to it and you're on it. You know, back then, at least when, when, when it started, you know, we have a map laid out on the floor with a little handheld GPS unit trying to figure out where we're at and look at the coordinates just to find the place. You know, so now, you know, that stuff's all loaded up and, you know, Go, go hit the areas you like, and uh, you definitely have a chance. You know, let's talk about this quickly because, you know, the one thing we talk about on the podcast is, you know, how to, how to help people catch more muskies. And obviously, you're fishing, when you were fishing the PMTT, you were fishing a ton of water that you'd never put your boat into before. Can you give people some tips on, like, how to start on new water? Like, what was the, the, what was the tactic, I guess, you guys took to break it down and, and have success in the PMTT? So, so back then, what we did was, you know, we the first thing we'd do, we know we knew we're going to, uh, you know, a certain lake, ordered one of the hot spots maps, took it out, laid it out on the on the table, and looked, and, and you know, all, all I was looking for were were, were places that uh, that I could relate to, like uh, a shoal out in the middle of the open water, or you know, a rock pile, or some weed bed, or something. And we were just looking at like the biggest, weediest bay they got on this lake. Let's look at that edge. You know, the same things that I was doing all the places I'm fishing here. And, uh, you know, you go to these other lakes, whether it's five states away or, you know, 500 miles away. I just took what, you know, things that, 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 that have worked for us in the past and take them to these new lakes. And, uh, you know, they worked. And I will say, you know, trolling, you know, back, uh, when we did the, you know, when you, when you went up north in, in Wisconsin, then you couldn't even troll. But, I mean, man, what a way to learn a lake. You know, you pull a map or you pull it even on your GPS. You pull it out and you've never been to this place and, you know, some of these lakes are big. You know, just to, like to, to say, okay, let's go cast right here. You can do that, but you're not going to cover much water on that lake. You're never going to be able to learn very much of it because some, you know, you know as well as I do, it might show a weed bed on the uh, on the on the on the map, and those weeds change every year. These lakes are changing all the time. It might show it on the map, but it might not be there. So, you know, what we did was, and you know, we caught a lot of fish casting in those tournaments, but most of our pre-fishing, we were. You know, we were trolling. We were picking an area. Okay, let's pick this bay. Let's pick this 500 acres of this lake. Let's set some lines. And then you can quickly learn because you're going, you know, four and a half miles an hour. You can pick out those points and you can get them, you know, in your head. Or now you can, you know, drop them on your unit. And you can see where the weeds are growing, which weeds look good, what, what, what weeds are dead. I mean, that was the, you know, the, the, there's no doubt that that, that that was, even though we caught a lot of those, even though we caught a lot of our fish during the PMTT casting, we learned that area by, you know, trolling the lake and, and you know, figuring it out. Yeah, it's, like you said, it's, it's amazing, you know, how much easier it is to figure it out, but it's also obviously always part of the puzzle. It's good to get a little insight on how you guys, you know, went about doing it. You know, because people fish new waters all the time. But 
let's let's shift away from you know PMTTs. Let's talk about stuff out in the east because we don't talk to too many you know guides and anglers that are fishing out out east. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. Where does your season start? Did you start uh, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Chautauqua? What do you what do you start the season off as? So. As of now, I mean, it wasn't this way a few years ago, but now there's an open season in Pennsylvania. You can fish them all year long, and I don't do any guiding over in Ohio. But, uh, so now we have an open season in Pennsylvania. We used to not be able to start till the first Saturday in May. So, uh, uh, yeah, I start my season in, uh, here in western Pennsylvania, local lakes, you know, a lot of state parks. Uh, we don't have many natural lakes here in Pennsylvania. You know, I do fish Conneaut Lake. That's our biggest uh, natural lake. I think it's 900 acres, something that realm. So, yeah, you know, I, I start, I start uh, you know, early early to mid-April, and we fish Pennsylvania April, May. And then, uh, you know, the season starts up in New York. They, have, they still have a season there. It starts June 1. It runs through November. So once I, you know, once that starts, I, I head up there to, to Chautauqua. Uh, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, you know, our lakes, Pennsylvania has changed. These, that's one thing through the years, man, all of these years of fishing, you know, these, these lakes change. The fisheries change immensely, especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know, stocking programs, things like that. Pennsylvania fishing is, is, is really good right now. You know, it is nothing like we, like we used to have. Uh, they changed the stocking program. They're stocking fish in the springtime that are, you know, 15, 14, 15 inches long. They're not putting near as many in. But let me tell you, it has changed our fish fishery uh, a lot. That system is working here in Pennsylvania. So, uh, you know, I fish in a variety of local lakes here. And, uh, uh, you know, those, those lakes are, like I said, man-made, you know, dammed up reservoir dammed up streams and uh all most of our lakes have a lot of all wives and stuff like that you know they're, they're man-made fisheries uh chautauqua lake is a natural fishery there's no shad all wives stuff like that in there they try to keep as natural can be so it's a you know uh going to going to chautauqua lake is like going to some lake that i go up in canada you know you're you're relying on uh uh you know those fish are feeding on perch and bluegills and you know whatever they can eat well one of the things that i always hear about out there todd is it seems like more guys are way into trolling than they are casting can you give us kind of a percentage on what your normal guide trip looks like is it more of a trolling deal or are you doing some casting as well yeah i mean ohio pennsylvania i mean i would say there's not <laughs> you know, you, if you see guys musky fishing, ninety percent of the time, it, it, you know these guys are trolling. Now in Pennsylvania, in that early season, I have a couple lakes I do some casting at. We do, you know, the, the, our lakes do not in Pennsylvania. I mean, we don't have big, fast weed beds like going to Lake Minnetonka or going up into Minnesota and those places you guys are used to fishing. You know, we just don't have those. And uh, you know, the 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 way guys fish is you know cover water set the lines and do it which is the same way that i fish pennsylvania but mostly in the early season i have a few lakes and uh, you know every year the weeds grow a little different but i have lakes that i fish here in pennsylvania that i don't ever set trolling so i you know when i'm talking to guys like hey you know what are you guys into and you know i don't know when you're into the when you get into the guiding there's some guys will say i don't care what i don't care if you got 10 yesterday i want to cast 
don't give the good ten troll. Okay, then let's go cast. You know, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a troll heavy area. There's no doubt. It's it is totally different than out uh, out west where you guys are. You know where, where those fishers are. But uh, you know, Chautauqua Lake gives us the it gives you both. I mean, you have vast weed beds, miles and miles of weeds, and uh, you know, my June. You know, if it was up to me in June, I would never set a trolling pole. We would just cast the whole time. But, you know, those fish do move out. We spend a lot of time trolling in the summer. And then usually in the fall, there's a nice little cast around. Now, some years we get them all year doing both. But, uh, you know, last year, or, you know, most years, the majority of my whole June into July, once the summer rolls around, the water tends to warm up. It's a very heavy traffic lake. You know, they, they cut the weeds, they spray some weeds, and, uh, you know, uh, we do more trolling throughout the summer. But, uh, like I said, some years, some years we get them all year, all year round, uh, you know, pretty good casting. Last year was a pretty good year casting. We did good up until, you know, late July, we were still doing really well casting. But, uh, yeah, definitely a trolling area. Todd comes with the history of PA, maybe even New York, and you can fly down into West Virginia. I mean, you always know, I mean, there's so many bait builders from that neck of the woods. And I think, you know, if, if you're from the Midwest, I think a lot of times we forget about all the different bodies of water out east where you're located. There's been musky fishing there since the beginning of time, right? So oh, yeah. the bait yeah. builders, do you think that that kind of persuaded that trolling type bite more so than... Uh, you know, the casting side, is it, is it something to do with the crankbait manufacturers or the guys that were making some of those baits? And I know there's a ton of gliders that were made in that area as well. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it probably does, you know, I mean, what, what, I mean, what, when I grew up with fishing with my grandpa, we did, we did not troll. I mean, it was all casting. I think part of what happened was, you know, you, you start looking, <laughs> you know, you look back to those years and you look back to the days, you know, I, you know, I, uh, you know, you take someone like my friend Dale, Dale Wiley, and him and his dad started doing some trolling. And uh, you know, the next thing you know, at the end of the week up in Canada, it's like, man, they got a fifty-two and a fifty and a half this week. And then you know, it it, it built from, you know, I I really think it built from there. Like, man, I got to start doing some of this trolling if I want to encounter some of these big fish. You know, they're they're out in waters that we're not. You know, they're not in the swap. They're not in the lily pads like they used to fish. And uh, that's what got me started, you know. Uh, and I think it just got to the point where now, you know, everyone's running the rods. I mean, we do do, I mean, there, there's a lot of people out here that, you know, friends buying this stuff. I can, you know, we can have a good day casting Chautauqua. And at the end of the day, like, man, how'd you guys do? Oh, we got six today casting. And they are... You know, their, their, their response is like, man, that's great. Good luck tomorrow. Because they're not going to do it. You know, they, they have a hard time reeling those, you know, two people, six poles. They have a hard time reeling those in and going into some weed bed and start chucking a bait. And, you know, trying to catch a fish. You know, you do it for an hour and you're like, oh my gosh, this, you know, this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. But we did have a lot of bait makers that made the crank baits. Now, man, going back, you know, a lot of them maybe weren't actually trolling baits, but uh, man, the crank crank baits are are, are uh, you know, you know, once you get one to come that, that can come up to speed, you know, 
It's a great way to catch fish. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, hands down. I mean, like here by me, it's kind of a, a it's one of them deals where it's time based, right? And and so there's times of the year that I don't hardly troll at all. And this year we kind of broke out of the mold a little bit. We did more trolling throughout the fall that I had in many, many years. And I'm talking early fall. So even in September and October, generally I won't start trolling until November. I spend the month of June doing the open water stuff, trolling. And I kind of put the trolling stuff away and start casting, you know, July, August, September, October. I'll mix in a little bit of trolling and then November it's pretty much trolling again. So this year though, we, we broke the mold a little bit. We did a lot more trolling early fall and had good success with it and some of it was short line trolling which is kind of cool and anybody that wants to watch it on man 10,000 cast i don't remember what episode it'll be but it'll be later in the season you'll get to see some of that and that's something that i've always wanted to learn more about and when you're talking to these reservoir guys you know whether it be in kentucky ohio pa all you guys i mean you you i'm gonna guess that you do it too todd a lot of short line trolling. And it's something that I had tried years ago here and never had good success with it, but kind of mixed it together this year and made it happen. So that was kind of a cool bite. Um, and I think a lot of times it's more or less, you know, doing some experimenting and trying to figure out a different kind of bite for me, that's, that's what keeps me in this sport. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and with me, I'm doing guide trips. So all summer, you know, th th there's days, like I said, there's days when we've, we've been crushing trolling, but, you know, I get a group of guys, they're not interested in that. They want to catch them casting. And, uh, you know, we go and we go do our casting. But as you said, you know, you know, when you start fishing, you know, these big reservoirs and you, you just got to think about covering the water, we're allowed three rods a man and you put out six poles, even though, you know, that, that planer board line in, in April, here when I'm fishing locally, there's sometimes it's literally the, the planer board is clipped right in front of my three foot leader because I'm only in five feet of water. I can't let any line out, but I got a bait. It's down and you're, you're, you're working waters like that. And, you know, it is, it is a really neat thing when I'm sitting there talking to guys and I look back and I'm like, there's one right there. And the rod hasn't gone on yet, but I saw the fish <laughs> swirl when he grabbed the bait that was clipped right in front of the plane board, then the rod buckles back and they're like, how'd you know the fish? I said, cause I saw it. I mean, the bait is right there because I'm in, I'm in three or four feet of water. You can cover a lot of water there. Now, one thing that I do in those situations, I mean, you know, you start working areas and once I get some bites in a certain area, that's, that's now I know. Now it's like, okay, guys, you want to do some casting, you know, because I've, I've already, proved that just one bay you know we had two or three hits we got one or two of the fish but there's some fish in there then i can go in there and do some casting because these are you know a lot of these lakes are fishing are big fast you know man-made reservoirs not much weeds not much of anything going on but that you know i i play the two together there's no doubt because they're fish and they're and they're hitting and they're there so if i can get them once I find an area where I'm getting these, this action trolling, well, I know the fish are there. So now I know I can go in there and get the, I can get action casting in there too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I play them off each other all the time, all the time. Makes perfect sense. I, I can relate to that being in the open water. 
I mean, one of the things in the open water is all the different fish that I've caught out in the open water, you can go back and cast those areas and actually have success as well. So definitely, I mean, trolling is such a great tool for learning bodies of water, like you said earlier. And it's not only for that, but it could also be for locating fish and, and com- combining your, uh, you know, trolling back into casting. So it's definitely a key way to fish. Yeah. Uh, like, so when I take my trips to Canada, when I walk and fish the, the, the areas that we fish up there, I mean, usually at the first, the first day or two that I'm there, I don't, I mean, sometimes, you know, if it's up to me, my brother and my father and I, like, we want to catch and cast them. But we spend the first day or two, and I, I troll. I troll those lakes. I troll them. I go in and I hit the weed beds. I'm I'm learning where the weeds are growing. I'm learning what they look like this year. And even more than that, you're looking to where he had the action. And you might hit one section of the lake, one section of the lake. Okay, so yesterday we had four hits down here trolling. Let's go cast that area. And nine times out of ten, you go down there and and uh, and you can get on fish. Now, for me to go to a lake that's, you know, 15,000 acres and just randomly pull into a spot and know that I'm going to be on fish, I'm never going to be able to cover that much water. So, uh, we definitely use, I mean, I, I use the troll. I use the trolling as, 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 the tech, as, as a learning technique. And, uh, you know, I look forward to while we're trolling, while we're catching, it's like, wow, uh, I can't wait to cast that area. <laughs> You know, Todd, what are some of the tools that you're using to do the short line trolling? I don't think it's something that's utilized as much much in the Midwest. I don't know if the pattern isn't the same or if we just don't do it. But, you know, what what type of baits are you using to get this job done? Oh, man, I'm using, I use mostly all the baits, friends of mine. I'm using Wiley's, I'm using Leo's, I'm using Perch baits, you know, Legend Lures. I, I, I run a lot of tough shads on those on those planer boards, the little uh, you know four inch one. I run a lot of bakers. I run a lot of boss shads. All friends of mine live around here, and uh, you know you can take uh, you know that's one big question I always get like you know what, what about you know there's a lot of years the same bait that I catch the first fish of the year on I catch the last fish of the year on. Uh, it's just a matter of, I, you know, you can take that bait, learning your line lengths, how deep is that thing getting, you know, I can take any one of those baits and I can get them down 12 feet or I can, you know, with a short line, I can, I can get it down to one foot. Uh, you just don't let that much line out and, uh, you know, you know, learning which baits will hold the speeds that you want to hold is a big thing. But, uh, yeah, I use mostly all baits of, you know, friends of mine and people I've known for years and, uh. I know I can get everything done with those lures, you know, throughout the season. Do you find yourself running uh, more straight baits or more jointed baits? I'm assuming based on what you told me, it's probably going to be straight, but some of those are offered in jointed versions as well. Is that a, something that you're into? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I do catch a lot of, I catch almost everything on straight baits anymore, but, you know, there's certain bodies of water you go to, you know, uh, you know what I'm using here in Pennsylvania or Chautauqua is not what I'm using when I go up to Canada. You know, I don't, uh, you know, I'm changing everything there. You know, a lot of the big jointed, uh, uh, big bulky jointed baits, I catch a, you know, that's what I get all my fish on when I take my trips north. You know, around here, I have them out, but man, these fish just seem that, you know, these fish are feeding on all lots. They're feeding on a little, little, uh, 
bait fish and uh you know it just seems like they they you know i, I get a lot more hits right now I'm not saying it's always been that way these lakes change <laughs> but uh you know a lot of them are on on the small little straight you know four to four to six inch baits i catch a lot of those fish and i in the, in, the, in the fall, you know, November, October, November, I'll have big stuff out and I'll have, you know, like, uh, you know, one of those little four-inch uh, Baker or Tough Shad or Wiley or something. I'll have that out on the planer board and, you know, we'll get a we'll get a 52-incher. It'll hit that. It's not supposed to hit that if they read the book, but they don't all read the book, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, I catch a lot of fish in those small baits, even late in the year. That's funny you said that uh, they don't all read the book. Yeah, that's one thing we yeah, talk about. Yeah. We're talking about hard, fast rules for muskies all the time, but unfortunately they don't always follow the hard, fast rules. So sometimes you got to play around a little bit and try to get them to, uh, to go off path a little bit. Absolutely, you know, and, uh, you know, when, when we're trolling, i got six baits out, so there's no use of doing everything the same, uh, you know. I really want them to hit my perch bait that has three, you know, six lot trebles on it, rather than a little shad bait that has, you know, two little two lots. Uh, but they don't always do that. <laughs> you know, when you're running a six bait spread like that, like what's your, you know, what are you thinking for depth? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming you're going to still vary it regardless of uh, time of year a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I'm in the open water, I'm going to punch some down towards the bottom. I'm going to keep some mid-range, keep, you know, keep at least one up high. And, uh, you know, the fish, the fish tell me what to do from there. You know, I, I, I like running my deep. So, my, you know, the deepest diving bait that I'm going to run, I'm going to run them on my down run off the back corner of the boat. Uh, I don't have to let as much line out, you know. So, those, those ones are down. They're out of the way. Side rod, you can let a little more, you know, I can play with those side rods a little bit. And then I always run two like, inline uh, planers. I mean, I, I, I mean, I like running the big planer boards when I'm in the right situation, but I don't do it while I'm, I'm, I'm guiding or anything, you know, because you've got to keep the boat going and I'm back there netting fish and trying to help people hold them and take pictures. And, and you can't stop the boat uh, with those uh you know, with the big board system, with that little, those little inline boards, it just, I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're bobber fishing with that thing. I can just stop the boat. It's just going to be floating out there. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, I can stop the boat and do what I need to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and then, you know, you can make quick adjustments, let a little line out, let a little, uh, uh, you know, and, and like I said, the fish tell me, so there, there's days, lots of days you come in, sometimes it's, you can commit at the end of the day and you didn't do very well and someone else did more often than not on those trolling days it was something they were doing with their line you know like they're in their days when i'm doing well and other people aren't and it's like yeah guess what I, I caught everything up high i know it was out in 35 feet of water but i wasn't running bait under it was down more than six or eight feet and that's where all those fish hit you know if, you, if you're punched on there 18 feet and these fish are all up high those fish don't even know that bait came through in my eyes. So, you know, playing with those line lengths and that usually makes a good day for me is, you know, figuring it out, man, they're right down near the bottom or they're up high today or, you know, whatever's happening with the bait fish situation. And, you know, that's the difference between a good day and 
average day or, or a bad day is the line lengths and where you're putting those baits when you're trolling. All right, so Brad knows exactly where I'm going to probably go with this next question. Let's talk about line lengths then or, or, or any of it. You know, how, how long are you going to run at, you know, certain line lengths before you're making a change? You know, maybe for you, you know the water's a lot better than your your average muskie angler, you know, so you kind of have a better idea on when to make those changes. But I think that's, we talk about this on the podcast all the time, is how difficult it is to make those decisions to, to change, you know, with a, with a muskie, you know, if you're trolling, one fish is still a good day, I think. So, yeah. You know, like how long, how long are you going to troll before you're making multiple bait changes or multiple depth changes? So how many, how many poles when you guys are trolling, how many poles are you allowed to run? Well, if we're over here in Wisconsin, we can run three per angler. So, you know, if we have a mm-hmm. couple guys in the boat or anglers in the boat, we don't necessarily have to be guys. Lots of women are musky fishing these days. And, uh, yeah. you know, so we could run yeah. six. I mean, if you're up on yeah. Green Bay and you got three in the boat, it's definitely not a problem to run nine. Many anglers do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point it is, it's one of those deals. Uh, I stick with where I got the confidence, you know, I'm still going to keep them spread out a little bit, but I might start with two, which I figure are down what I'm going to call my deep ones two mid range two up high, you know, now if that deep one goes once, Hey, that's a fish. That's great. There's no pattern there. That deep one gets hits again. Maybe I'm going to look at the color. Maybe I'm going to look at the depth. I'm, I'm looking more to depth than the color or the size or the shape of the lure. I'm looking more to depth where, where did I have that bait? You know, I had that perch bait out on a down rod with 50 feet of line. So I know I'm down there 14 to 15 feet off the back. And let's put another one down there in that same range. You know, I, I, th- that's the way I play the game. I don't, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get to do it all the time. You know, I've had days where the same one, I've run six poles and I had one lure get hit 10 times that day. Not another hit on another lure. That's extreme. More often than not, once I find that depth where I'm getting some action, then I can repeat that process and turn a one fish day into a three fish day just because of, you know, had a hit and caught one. They're up high today or right now they're up high and I'll, pull a couple more baits up into that range and uh then i can repeat that process all right then let's talk about speed you know how, how much of an importance is speed where what would like in the summertime what would be like i would say like an average speed that you'd be you'd be going and you know in the fall are you one of those anglers that likes to keep it fast or are you going to slow it down a little bit you know, I, I do I do slow down a little bit. On my early season fishing, I run a little slower. I, I pick it up, but I, I run a little slower. Like slow to me is now. You know, I don't think I've ever trolled for muskies in un, under three point five miles an hour. So, you know, three three five something like that is the slow end. Midsummer, I'm running the six rod spread. I mean. Cause you're making turns. I'm, I'm making a lot of bends and those, those planar board rods are you know, buckling back and they're trying to keep up with the speed. You know, my summertime speed is at four, three to four, seven, you know, I caught him going a lot faster than that when I'm up in Canada, when I can only one run one rod and I'm running a big, you know, nine inch jointed Wiley that can take eight miles an hour. I'll pick that speed up. I'm fishing with my brother and my father. We only got two poles out, but 
uh, I can't run that speed with, you know, with the planer boards and everything because you end up getting, you know, the lures coming out of the water and things like that. But, uh, the, the, I mean, the speed, the speed can definitely be key. If there's one thing through all the years of me doing this, thousands of people I've taken out and some of them really took to it. You know, the, if there's one, the biggest thing that I've ever been told was like, the, you know, I take somebody out on a charter trip and we go out and we fish and I start setting rods and I'm going 4.5. And they're, they look at me like, is this how fast you're going to troll? I said, yeah, this is how fast we're going. This is, you know, it's so hot. That is the biggest thing that, that I've had throughout all the years. People, you know, telling me where they're fishing, doing things like that. And and they go home and, you know, a week later I'm getting pictured and they're like, I'm fishing the same oars. I'm doing the same thing. I'm fishing the same areas that I always fish. But, you know, whether it's somebody that says, you know, you know my father and I, we never went over three miles an hour. And all they did was pick up the speed four two four five, and they're like, "Now we're catching fish." That's nothing for a muskie that four four mile hours, uh, you know, buzzing by them at that speed. That is the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. I mean, I learned a lot of this from Dale. Dale and I trial and error, uh, but man, that speed can can uh, uh, you're covering water, and you're getting reaction strikes out of those fish. I feel. And I don't think half the fish we ever catch are, I don't even think half of them are really feeding. You know, I like to pick an area, go back and forth, back and forth to that area, and eventually they get tired of that bait buzzing by them like that, and they smack one. <laughs> yeah, I would, I mean, I'm, I got to think that the majority of the people in the Midwest, especially ones that are trolling, are probably not airing on that much speed. And I think it's a mistake. I know I make the mistake often. I've told the I've told the story on the podcast numerous times about how I was trolling late fall, pretty slow, and I picked up the speed, and that's when I started catching fish. Was you know dialing up that speed even late fall, so it's it's definitely a trigger. There's no doubt about it, and I think you know many people don't use it, especially in the in the late fall. But I mean, I, I don't think we go fast enough, you know, trolling all all season long. Mm, I mean, you, you know, we've all heard like you know, kick of the tail, the muskie can grab a bait that. Their, their, their speed burst is going to be like 50 miles an hour or something. What is, what's three or four miles an hour if you keep busting? You know, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah. I can grab that with no problem. Absolutely. You know, Todd, since you talk a lot about, you know, different baits that you're using, you're not using necessarily mainstream stuff all the time. I mean, it's popular stuff if people really know muskies. But if you're a newer muskie angler, some of those companies that you mentioned, they might not be, uh, you know, real mainstream. But let's talk about it on the casting side. Like, what's a bait that you use fairly often that you would say is, uh, I guess, un unheard of or under underheard of or underappreciated or however you want to phrase it you know what's a bait that you use that doesn't get enough credit that it deserves well i mean for me right now so you know casting to me i grew up casting throwing throwing a lot of bucktails and throwing a lot of uh never did a lot of top water fishing around here you know i've caught some fish on top water I've, I've thrown the top water to these fish around here when, you know, when the fish were on and, uh, you know, with very, very little success, top water 
hits are great. Uh, they're they're fun. If I could get them on top water, that's all I throw. Uh, but you know, I I grew up and we started throwing these hard trip baits. And uh, you know, when I'm doing my trips right now, I mean, it happens to be one that we make. And uh, you know, you know, ninety percent of the time, we're throwing the Raptors, the neutral buoyant, uh, easy for easy for people to throw. And, uh, you know, we use mostly those hard jerk baits. I, I do, you know, we make swim bait. I throw some swim baits. Uh, obviously, it's a very versatile bait. You know, I can have guys that don't know how to cast. They can be jigging that thing off the back corner. As long as they throw that thing out there, there's a chance to get hit. But uh, we pretty much throw our raptor jerk bait uh, all season. <laughs> you know, all season. And, you know, for people who aren't familiar with the Raptor jerk, jerk bait, let's talk about that a little bit. What's his cadence? How do you throw one? How do you work one? What makes it so special? So I grew up throwing the Suics and the, the Bobbies and the, all that kind of stuff. And Dale made a jerk bait and the party made a jerk bait. And, uh, you know, a lot of those are diving rise. So when we started, uh, you know, uh, when I started the guiding real hot and heavy up there at Chautauqua, you know, I could get guys, but. You know, if they're still learning how to use the reel, they're trying to learn how to do all this stuff, that a lot of those baits are not very deep. You know, they're they're still working on that cadence. They're still working on everything. So I, I needed to have, you know, uh, got with Andy and was like, I need a jerk bait. That, like, you pull it a couple times and it's going to stay in that zone. It's going to get down there. It's going to stay there. And uh, it, when we started doing that, uh, and once we got everything where we wanted there with that bait, I mean, the, the, the success of these guys throwing these hard baits, it just, it just uh, you know, unbelievable how quickly people could pick up on using them. Uh, you know, and I know, you know, Brad is big into the spinners, but it's, it, it, it's really odd to me, like, taking new, new people out. Uh, handing them a spinner bait, you know, you'd think that would be very easy. You cast it out, you reel it in. But, you know, I try to tell people, like, you got to slow your tree that you bring it to the boat. you got to put the rod tip in the water. you got to do this. And, you know, even with uh, even spinners, uh, you know, it, it can be a challenge with new people. Those baits get in, the, you know, if they let them get down too deep, they get in the weeds, they get all tangled and everything. These jerk baits we are just ripping. And to me, that soft start pause, boom, that rip, you know, a couple feet pause, a couple feet pause when you're ripping the jerk bait. I mean, I always, you know, I always look at like when you walk out the dock in the morning, you're going down to your boat and walk out the dock and you see all this little perch. They don't, they're not swimming around like a, uh, like a crankbait swims, you know, they do what you do with the jerk bait. They go, they do little darts. So to me, you know, a jerk bait is like the most natural action, and that 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 stop start, you know, complete dead stop on that bait and that pause. I just think you get so many reaction strikes from the fish using those, and that that's what we use almost exclusively. Sure, that makes sense. Definitely a bait for people to check out this uh, this coming season for sure. If you haven't checked one out already. I know you guys have them on your website. You'll have them at some shows. We also have some on our website as well, so go check that bait out. 
All right, Todd. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know that you guys are busy getting ready for shows as well. And, uh, you know, again, thank you for taking time out and uh, talking musky fishing with us. If people want to get in touch with you to uh, learn more about you, learn more about Chautauqua Lake, get on the water with you, how do they go about doing that? Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishingguides.com. And uh, we'll be out there fishing out of the Ranger boat uh, using St. Croix rods. Big sports center, big help for us here. And, uh, you know, we, we with the Fantasy Musky products, we have, uh, we probably are, we talked about the Raptor a little bit. We do make a swim bait, the, the, the Swimmer Series. We have a 6, 8, and a 10. Uh, same as the, the Raptors, we have a 6, 8, and a 10, soft tail, hard tails. And, uh, you know, one of our biggest products is our Rod Holder Series. Uh, I see them all over the internet when I'm looking at pictures and uh, the fatty Z-Rolvers have really uh, really taken off and I, everybody seems to uh, like fishing with them typical and things like that. So check out our products. I appreciate it. Yeah, the, the rod holders that you talk about, those things are, uh, <laughs> we talk about underrated tools or baits or whatever, the rod holders that you guys have are awesome, especially the one that you can, you know, the one you can tip in the water and you can easily yeah. slide it back up if you need to. If you get into a little tight jam and you want to raise that bait up, just uh, crank down on the handle of the rod and raise that bait up about as fast as you as fast as you can. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I recommend people checking out the uh, AZ rod holders if they haven't already. But, Todd, you know, once again, I want to thank you for your time. And I want to thank our listeners for uh, putting up with us for another episode. And we'll be back again with another one next week, Wednesday. <laughs>